Hey cuties, welcome to another episode of Mimi Said What? I'm Mimi Robinson, and this is my show where I have unfiltered girlfriend chatter with a dose of entertainment and a side of pop culture. I'm a dope-ass black woman who happens to be a wife, a mom, and still have a life of my own. Mimi, update. Guess what, y'all? Guess what? We are on spring break and your girl got away. It took me a year and two weeks to get away, but a bitch was out. So it was a compromise. The family and I took a road trip to Ocean City. So y'all should already know by now we live in Maryland. And so it's just a few hours away. It was cold and it was windy and I did not give a shit. I was so excited to just be out and away. So we rented a condo. It was a cute little two bedroom, two bath condo joint. And I have been telling y'all, like my mental health has been struggling. So I was just dying to get away. And my daughter was dying to get away. The boys were definitely a bit more hesitant. And so I jumped through some extra hoops to make them feel comfortable. So even though we rented this condo, I bought blow up beds. So we didn't sleep on their beds. When we first got in, I sprayed the whole entire place down. Um, I had Clorox wipes. I had Lysol. I had everything. And so um, we had we had a nice time. It was definitely nice to get away. So the first day, I'd say weather-wise was the best. We definitely had way more sun. It was a little windy, but nothing offensive. So um, while we were riding around before we could check into the condo, we strolled down to the Delaware side, which I actually had never done, considering I've been to Ocean City a million times. So we pulled over, y'all. And took off our socks and our sneakers and put on our Crocs and then took those off and walked through the sand. I have not had sand between my toes since 2019. I felt like a new woman. (laughs) So we played around a little bit um, and snapped some pictures and some videos. I've been posting some to the gram and we just soaked it all in. It was a great restoration of the soul. Um, We stayed there two nights. So we were there three days and we had a good time. It was definitely um, what we needed. Um, I realized once we got there, I was probably a little more paranoid than I thought I was. I was definitely like, Oh, did I wipe this off? Did I spray this down? Now, granted, this is this is a vacation rental by our owner, right? Like, this is what they do. They have professional cleaning services come in and clean the units and all of that other stuff. But you know how some stuff just ain't clean until you clean it, and I was feeling that way. Which, I don't generally clean on vacation, but um, I did this time. And I, I was okay with it. So, that was a good time. Um, the kids had a good time. I think more than they realized that they would as well. And we made some great memories and foolish ass stories about us sitting in a tent when it was windy as fuck outside (laughs) and it was cold, but whatever, we did it on the beach. Um, so then we came home and just chilled out. Babe and I took the whole week off with the kids. So it was nice to not even have to work, to pretend to work, to, juggle meetings and the kids working and like it was just nice um 
So I think the first day back, we kind of all like retreated to our own spaces. <laughs> um, doing the things that we like to do anyway. And as nice as it was to get away, I definitely miss being home, which is crazy. Honestly, I love being in the house. I really do. And that's not what's getting to me. It's the outside world being closed off and not being able to just freely go out and then come back home because I love my home. And especially during the pandemic, babe and I have gone to great lengths to decorate um, and make it feel like a home in a way we hadn't before because the house was still kind of newish. So there was that. Then there was April Fool's, which large in part, I do not participate in, but my daughter, oh, she was so set on April Fool's and she had her little simple daddy as her partner in crime. So they tricked um, Nasir. What did she tell me they did? Oh, he, so he was gaming or trying to game anyway, and his mouse wouldn't work. So they had just really simple, put a sticky note over the sensor on the bottom of his wireless mouse and the shit wasn't working. And when he flipped it over to figure out what was going on, it was a sticky note. <laughs> oh, she was so proud of her work. So then I was in here, I was doing some sort of training online, not government work related. It was a training just to be better with my social media clients, right? And so I wasn't watching any TV for like a good half of the day. And then something told me to click the remote. I wasn't even finished the training. I clicked the remote and my TV wouldn't come on. So then I grabbed the cable remote and that one didn't come on. And I was like, okay. So a few things could have taken place here. They unplugged my TV or they took the batteries out the remote. And because I'm lazy, <laughs> before getting up, I just flipped the remote over and pulled the backs off. They had taken one battery out of each remote. So when I was ready, I just went and I was like, so my girl, where are my batteries for my remote? And she was like, oh man, like she was definitely bummed out that it didn't work on me. And I was like, yeah, I figured it out very quickly. And so she was like, well, we got Nasir. Yeah, you did. So then... Yesterday, which was not April Fool's, in fact, it was April 2nd, she calls me from, she was um, on the main level, I was upstairs, so she calls me and she's like, mom, the toilet is smoking, can you come down, dad's in the basement, and I was like, why, I was watching uh, TV, and I was like, well, why are you calling me if the dad is, the, if that, if the tea, shit, <laughs> if the toilet is smoking, why are you calling me, this sounds like, what am I supposed to do, call your father, so I didn't go downstairs. And so Nasir overheard the conversation. So he goes down and <sighs> I posted it to my Insta story, but I'm going to post it to my feed because I want y'all to see what these fools did. So when I went and so then my husband is like calling me, screaming my name to come downstairs. So I get up and I come downstairs and he's like, me, the toilet is smoking. Didn't Nori tell you? And I was like, yes, but what am I supposed to do? And he's all like, well, the toilet could have blown up. Well, then damn it, I'd have been trapped. <laughs> like, I don't know what to tell you. So when I go look, these fools had two rolls of toilet paper on top of the toilet seat that make it look like eyeballs. And they took a thin roll of paper towels and put it like up under the seat a little bit. So it literally looked like it had eyes and it was smoking a cigarette. They were so fucking tickled. It made no sense how amused they were with themselves whatevs it was cute but obviously not enough for me to run downstairs so um that was april fools and april and post april fools with the two fools in my house and then what else did i do 
Oh, since we came back, I had just been watching copious amounts of TV because I felt like I was missing out. Oh, getting ready for Easter. So Easter is tomorrow and we didn't do anything last year. It was fresh into the pandemic and I just had no juice. But normally we do something. My kids are big. Um, I tell y'all that all the time. But I still like to make, you know, these kind of things special. So yes, I got them Easter bags. They're not Easter buckets, but the bags are shaped like bunnies and they handle the bags of ears. They're like a canvas bag. It's so cute. So Nasir got a brown bunny and Nori has a white bunny because I'm that mom. Um, and I got them toys and trinkets. Like there's no grass, no shit like that in there. <laughs> but um, I did go all out. I always do for my guy baby who is too. And I hate that we're in a pandemic because God mommy could really go all the way out. Um, and I just bought her a variety of things. So I can't wait. She loves a present. She know God mommy always gives her good presents. So I can't wait for her to open it. So her last present was Valentine's Day. And so Christmas was the ultimate present because that's when I bought her a cell phone. <laughs> yes, she's too. Mind your business. And then so for Easter, I mean, like I would just be out and I'd be like, oh, I call her Shirley because she act like an old lady. Oh, Shirley would love this. So um, it's a whole bunch of stuff, including this big ass tent that I can't wait for her to have fun in, in her room. So um, that's what Mimi has been up to. Um, I go back to work on Monday, virtually, of course, but work nevertheless. So it was so good to get out and to set my soul free. So we are going to make um, plans to go back to the beach. We probably won't stay tonight, just a day trip because it's not that far when the weather gets warm, consistently warm. So I'm hoping for like May before school is officially out for the summer because that's when Ocean City get packed. But somewhere around there where we could go and actually dip our feet in the water. That's all I do. Sis can't swim. I don't fuck with the ocean. Sharks are real and they be out here even at Ocean City. And so I literally dip a toe in the water and that's it. I like to hang out in the sun, listen to the waves and take pictures. So that is it for your Mimi update. Pop culture time. Okay, so they have been quite a few things taking place. Um, One of them is Marseille Martin is still out here doing the damn thing and I just continue to give her her flowers while she's living because she is earning them. So, um, Marseille was speaking about black pain and I'm so with her, y'all. So she said there's one major rule when it comes to her production company, no black pain. Yes. Oh, she wants to make sure that each product she produces is diverse and real in its own way. She loves real stories that people can resonate with. Even if it's like not you personally, but maybe, you know, a friend or a family that dealt with it. Like those are the kind of stories she likes to tell. And that shit is so damn refreshing. So black pain sells for top dollar. And that's why they keep pushing it down our throats. Like who wants a constant reminder of the tragedies and the pain that they have experienced? We know it. We live through it. Our parents live through it. Our ancestors live through it. Like we're very well versed. Why y'all keep shoving that shit down our throat? at every turn like I hate that so um all of the slave movies all of these um even like the the police shootings the unjust killing of black people like we know this story why do we need to then see it on the screen we're seeing it in real life why do we keep pushing these stories but we want 
non-blacks to see that we are more than just that. Like, so why aren't we showing them that? So I am here for Marseille and for um, sharing the black joy that is also a huge part of who we are. Also, there was this dope commercial that I saw today. And, oh my God, I'm trying to think who did the commercial. It was so good. I saw somebody post about it or share about it on the gram. And when I clicked to look, I was like, oh, hell yes. Like, it was such an amazing commercial. But the premise of the commercial was about kind of just seeing the big picture, right? And so um, in the advertisement, I have got to find it. I swear to God, I can't remember what it was. In the advertisement, what they're showing you is a clip of really it's just a bunch of black people and within the clip you just it's easy for you to assume these stereotypical things based on the very tiny piece it was Procter and Gamble that's who it was so they're showing you these really tiny snippets of a variety of scenarios which could easily have you draw a conclusion that um, this black person is about to rob somebody this black person is about to kill somebody or whatever but the premise of the um, the the commercial is like to look beyond this little tiny piece of st- whatever you think you're seeing to know that there is a much bigger picture. So it's called Widen the Screen and it is so dope. Um, so I watched that and I was like, yes. And that feeds into the, the, the black joy that Marseille wants to share. So that's enough about my soapbox on that. All right, what else? Okay, the internets are collectively um, have their panties in a bunch because we got a Bridgerton update. So the very classy Lady Whistledown has dropped a society paper regarding season two <laughs> and the people are mad, y'all. They in the streets and they mad. So I'm gonna read you the note that she put out and you can act accordingly, okay? So... Dearest readers, while all eyes turn to Lord Anthony Bridgerton's quest to find a, uh, he looking for a woman, y'all. We bid adieu to oh, Reggae Jean Page, who so triumphantly played the Duke of Hastings, will miss Simon's presence on screen, but he will always be a part of the Bridgerton family. Daphne will remain a devoted wife and sister, helping her brother navigate the upcoming social season and what it has to offer. More intrigue and romance than my readers may be able to bear. Yours truly, truly, Lady Whistledown. So, it sounds like, okay, first of all, everybody mad. Now, I'm not going to lie, y'all. The sex, not even the sex scenes. The sex scenes were hot, but just. There is just a je ne sais quoi about him that you just be like, damn. And so I think that's really what we're all missing because because of that big, uh, the big dick energy that he was putting off, it made you want to keep watching. It sucked you in like you had to know how this was going to play out and what was going to happen next. And we all know that Lord Anthony is a whore because we saw his butt cheeks a whole, whole lot. (laughs) in that first season but true to the books that I have in fact not read each book is about a different member of the Bridgerton family and so the show 
at least it in this instance, is sticking true to the storyline. So each book is about another sibling. And in that regard, why would you see his brother-in-law a whole lot when he is not the focal point of this particular book or season? So um, I will stu- still tune in to watch. Um, Shonda is bomb. And so there is no doubt that it won't be uh, an incredible storyline. I totally think that it will. But I think for the black audience, it was nice to see this black man who happened to be really sexy and quite uh, away with his words in the season. And that was part of the allure. And so regardless of how the storyline plays out, I feel like we're still going to miss that part. So I'm really curious to see how their numbers do now that this information is already out when season two comes along. All right, moving on. So tonight, um, the Mahalia Jackson Lifetime movie aired. Um, It is a Robin Roberts Presents Mahalia Jackson's story. Um, It's on the DVR, so I'll talk about it with you next week. But Danielle Brooks is um, portraying the civil rights icon in this TV biopic. Um, Danielle Brooks is bomb. She's got a beautiful voice, all of her own. So she was in the color purple on Broadway, um, chosen by Oprah. She was tasty in Orange is the New Black. And she's got her wits about her. I think she's a really good fit. I looked at some of the side-by-sides and she is a dead ringer. They did an amazing job with casting her. So I look forward to, um, watching that. Um, also there was another interesting story that came out and it's just bullshit. I'm gonna just go ahead and tell you that. So for whatever reason, the UK Sun has reported that Prince William is the sexiest bald man. And I just want to know how, Sway. Are you blind? How? Prince William is the sexiest nothing to anybody but his wife. Nothing. It's a no for me. Not even if I just squinted through one eye and turned to the side. Like, no, there's no way you could make me believe this. I think that they did this because (laughs) Prince William is dry as paint. And Prince Harry had been getting all the shine with the Harry and Meghan talk. And I felt like this was like, oh, hey, look at this guy. But he's better. No, no, he's not better. Even before the Meg- before there was a Megan, Prince Harry was always the favorite of the princes. William is dry and his bald head looks terrible. Um, they need to quit playing. They need more people. All right, moving on. So NFL superstar and fashionista Cam Newton has a new show. So he's got a new um, digital series with BET. And it's called Sip and Smoke. And it's an eight episode weekly sit down kind of interview style. So it launched on March 31st. I have not checked it out though. Um, You can listen to it or watch it on BT.com and then on BT's YouTube channel. So the show is about Atlanta's kind of recognition as the new culture capital of America. You know, Atlanta is like a little LA or it's black LA. Maybe that's what I should call it. It's black LA, even though white people film shit too, but it's, <laughs> it's black LA. And so, um, his show kind of centers around black culture. So he's chatting with some of ATL's notables in these, um, eight episodes. I think I said it was. So, um, Steve Harvey, who lives in Atlanta, two chains, um, Tiana Taylor, David Banner, 
Deval Ellis and some others. Um, everybody lives in Atlanta. Um, the series is filmed in his like cigar lounge in his home in, um, is it in his home? I don't know if it's in his home, but he's got like a cigar lounge in downtown Atlanta and that's where they're doing the filming. So that should be cool. I will at least check it out. Um, just to see what the conversation is all about. All right, moving on. So I have talked to y'all about to all the boys and how there was a one and a two and Netflix bestowed a three and final one. Um, a couple months ago, it ain't even been that long. Well, now, To All the Boys is getting a spinoff TV series, and I'm so excited! So, it's in early development at Netflix. But can I just say, this joint reeks of all of the awesome sauce. All of it. So, um, they're working on a half-hour rom-com series following Kitty's, um, song, Covey's Quest to Find True Love. Um... I'm excited. I'm really excited. So I'm going to have to stay tuned. I'm sure it ain't going to be no time soon, but I like the way they're thinking. All right. So there was a funny on Twitter. We love black Twitter. (laughs) So black Twitter was reacting to our new HUD secretary, Marsha Fudge's classic black auntie moment in a White House press room. Y'all. I love our people. I love being black. I would not want to be anything else. I love being a woman. I would not want to be anything else. I most assertly love being a black woman. And this is just, it's just another reason why. Like we are just so unmatched. Like it's crazy. All right. So, oh girl, she's a former Ohio Congresswoman, right? So she made history as the first black woman to lead the Department of Housing and Urban Development in 40 years. <sighs> the last person was a shit mess, but everybody from the last administration was a shit mess. So there's that. All right. So <laughs> Marsha holds her first press conference, right? And, you know, she just casually walks into the White House press room. You know, you greet your attendees with a friendly good afternoon, right? <laughs> So the clip is on Twitter and the shit is funny. So she's like, you know, good afternoon. And her greeting was met with silence. Y'all. She closed her binder. She put her finger to her ear. Just like, you know how you do like, hello, I don't hear anything. Like you might do to your children. Um, You know, like I didn't hear anything. And so she repeated, good afternoon to the crowd of the press attendees. And then there was some nervous laughter and a quick adjustment in energy light in the room with the attendees promptly responding, good afternoon. <laughs> so she says, oh, thank you. I was wondering if I was in this room by myself, y'all. Oh, I love us. It was definitely a cl- classic black auntie moment that resonated with black women everywhere. You cannot be a black person and you've never had someone do this to you or you've never done this to someone. Growing up um, in church, anytime somebody got to the podium and they said, good morning, and nobody said anything, they'd be like, good morning. And then everybody would respond like, oh, so Twitter in true fashion had a good time. (laughs) So. There were a few tweets that tickled my spirit. So one of them says, um, she got the press together in less than 12 seconds. That's black auntie energy. (laughs) 
Another one said, man, if that wasn't my grandmother, the next question would have been, did I sleep with you? If not, then a greeting is required. I have said that to people and I'm sure it made me an auntie long before I officially got to auntie years. And I don't even know if y'all have heard that term before, but it's like, I didn't sleep with you. So I didn't wake up to you. So you need to greet me. I greeted you like you owe me that in return. Somebody says she walked up like she was finna read the church announcements and I'm howling. And then somebody else said, if speak when you're spoken to were a person. I spent a stupid amount of time scrolling through all of the tweets because they were hilarious. But sis was like, um, I said, good afternoon. I'm sure they won't let this happen again. I hope they don't let this happen again. Like it should take you one time to learn your lesson. And she definitely gathered them up quickly. It's really interesting how some things are cultural for some and definitely not for other. This is probably one of those things. All right, moving on. So this one is for all the fans of The Voice. This one is for you. Snoop Dogg is going to join the upcoming season, which is season 20. He is going to be a mega mentor And he'll be a super coach with Kelly Clarkson and Nick Jonas and John Legend and Blake Shelton and all of that. So um, I like The Voice. I don't watch it consistently. If it's on, I watch it. If I think about it, I'll tune in. But I'm not like a diehard in that kind of way. But the folks on there be singing their faces off. And so I do like to tune in for that. So season 20 marks the 10th anniversary the 10 year anniversary of the voice Ooh, 10 years already god damn and they return on monday april 19th at 8 p.m all right so (laughs) i was watching the news one day this week and they were talking about this new word and it's called vax holes and a vax hole You've seen them. If you've been on social media, you've seen them. I've seen tons of them. And I think that's why it was so funny to me. So according to Urban Dictionary, a vax hole is one who has fully been vaccinated from COVID-19 virus and brags about it. (laughs) There, I mean, I have seen threads that are addressed to the like these other vax holes like, hey, I got my shot. I'm good. And someone might comment, be like, oh, yeah, I got one. I'm scheduled to get two next week, you know, or something like that. And they go on and on about how they feel like they have leveled up in the game of life because they have their vaccinations. And that's funny. Um, Vax hole is probably a good term. I wonder, like, if it'll stick. All right. So I am most looking forward to Versus on the morrow. So Versus has got a lot going on, but I'm here for it. So I told you how the um, Swiss and Timbo sold last week, right? Well, we got a little information because Black Twitter was apparently in their feelings and they weren't quite right with the notion of them selling off um, Versus because it's a thing for us. It's for the culture for sure. Um, So Swiss told Essence that automatically when you hear sell, you're going to think sell out because a lot of people are just reading the headlines. Um, and then he said that he told Tim, we just have to be patient with our culture, (laughs) have patience with our people, because one thing they can tell you is me and Tim never sold out anything and and they're right. So, um, I feel like because this was their baby, that they still hold it close tight to their chest, but the goal in life is to level up and sell your shit. Like, you know, that should be 
kind of your thought process. Like, okay, I build this thing and this is dope and it's amazing, but what is my exit strategy, right? I'm going to sell it. I'm going to do this. And then I'm going to go build another new thing and do that. Like, that's where your big money is at. So they said it's an art. It's by the artist, for the artist, um, with the creative, that what they did was they took verses and put it into a multi-billion dollar company that has um, the ability to do bigger things with it. So they took every single black creative that was on a stage with them and made them owners into that platform, which is smart. So Versus Triller is probably the blackest tech company today. I'm almost sure it is, says Swiss Beat, who pointed out the company goes public. Fans will also, that if the company goes public, that fans will also have the opportunity to buy stock in the business. So also in the name of leveling up, um, Versus has partnered with Peloton. So Swiss and Tim, I think they had an Instagram video I saw. And... um. It's a smart idea, y'all. So I know they had, Peloton had done a thing with Beyonce. And so this is kind of similar. So your favorite music artists are going to go head to head, song for song, um, while you work out. So they had their first matchup on the 29th of March. So just a few days ago. And it was Brandy versus Monica. And so you were supposed to add hashtag versus Brandy or hashtag versus Monica. Um, add that tag to your profile. Um, and you know, when you do your workout or whatever, which is a dope idea. Again, you have taken this thing and you are continuing to grow it and mold it into what it really could be. Um, so tomorrow, Earth, Wind and Fire versus Ozzy Brothers, 8 p.m. Go on and clean up your kitchen from your Easter dinner, put the babies to bed. They tired, they done ran around, probably hyped up on some sugar or whatever. And get your cup and your auntie robe and get your man, your woman, your whatever, your puppies, your dog, whatever. And get your two-step on in your living room because it's going down. And guess what? Steve Harvey is hosting it. The minute I saw that, it immediately took me back to his comedy skit where he played Earth, Wind, and Fire. That is his shit. He is so fitting because he is going to bring the energy that we will have. He is going to be so excited in a way that we are, except for we at home and he not. I've already picked out my outfit. That's it. That's all. All right, moving on. Congrats are in order. A wedding went down and we didn't really know about it. At least I didn't. Jeezy and Jenny Mai are officially husband and wife. It went down, y'all. They had a very cute, I saw the pictures, intimate ceremony at their Atlanta home on March 27th. Um, they had originally originally planned to wed in Lake Como or in the south of France. Um, obviously, there's a global pandemic s- still going on. And Jeezy's mom unexpectedly passed away. And so for them, you know, it was just a reminder that life is too short. Do what you want, be with who you want, and don't put off for tomorrow what you could do today kind of thing. So um, they just wanted to become husband and wife, and so they did. They um, turned their original wedding into a mini-money, <laughs> a mini-wedding ceremony. So they exchanged vows in front of their intimate, uh, not intimate, immediate family and f- close friends, and they shared the tea in vogue. The pictures were gorge. Um, So the guests had to have a negative COVID test two days prior to the wedding. And then once they got to the wedding the day of, they were tested once they arrived before they were like led down to the garden area where the wedding took place. And they had a live band 
trap jazz do you know that i want to experience some trap jazz that shit sounds so sexy so they perform their favorite songs oh my god i would love that anyway um they check cell phones at the door so it ain't no random footage you're not gonna see their good quality pictures they paid for ruined by somebody's cell phone picture in an aisleway or nothing um, they did include some Vietnamese traditions into the ceremony, which is really dope to honor Jeannie's culture. Um, and then Jeezy surprised her by having Tyrese serenade them for their first dance, of course, to Sweet Lady, which is never goes out of style. And then I thought this was so cute. Then they moved the after party into their like lounge in their home and guests were gifted with custom monogram, like cozy earth pajamas and slippers and Jeannie and, uh, Jeezy and Jeannie changed into their own Versace silk pajamas and they danced the night away to their favorite songs just feeling real comfortable and that's such a dope idea oh after a while like you didn't squoze yourself into this dress so you could be tight and right but that shit is not for hours and hours and hours your feet hurt because you with some heels especially if you like me and you've been in the house and in sneakers and you ain't even really been wearing any heels um, I'm sure they could appreciate some dope ass pajamas and slippers. So congrats to the two of them. I think that is super, super dope. So that wraps up our pop culture segment. Okay, let's get into what Mimi is watching. So the Equalizer came back. It had been on a little bit of a break. Um, and it came back with a strong episode about the Russians. It was well played. Well, well played. Um, oh, Queen Sugar. So I had two episodes of Queen Sugar to watch and my gosh, they were both heavy episodes, um, but they did such an incredible job with the George Floyd episode, which is episode six. It came out on May 27th um, and it was almost like ripping a bandaid off all over again of a wound, you know, that still exists because the time is so fitting because they are knee deep in the trial for George Floyd's case um, for his murder. And so... I like the way the men were vulnerable, their feelings were honest and so relatable to a lot of us, but especially to black men. It was a permission to feel your feelings and to love on each other and be hurt and be worried and just all, it just ran a gamut of of emotion, which it really, really did. And they did such a great job displaying that. And then the the next episode, which would have been episode seven, was a Black Lives Matter episode. And it was them. Um, so Ralph Angel and Darla were on their honeymoon when all of this went down. And Wood, in particular, was having a really, really hard time with it. And his mom had just died. So he was definitely knee deep in grief and emotion already. And this just, you know, was very triggering for him. And so in the episode, um, you see Darla and Ralph Angel coming back home to talk to their son, Blue, about George Floyd being murdered by cops and People that are supposed to be good aren't always good. And these are things that happen. And Darla was really hesitant because you want to preserve the innocence of your child. However, Blue is 10. And at some point, you have to have the talk. And so they had the talk. Um, and it was it was very appropriate, I felt like. Um, Rough Angel... Ralph Angel is such a good dad. So he loved on him and reassured him. But he also kept it real with him in a way that Darla wasn't ready to do. But 
in her new wifely duties, she had his back and I think they did a really good job. So then they talked about protesting and doing stuff. And that episode, I think episode seven was even more triggering because there was a white cop on it who was a total and complete dick. And while they, this is art imitating life, this shit definitely happens in life. And it was just like, ugh, black pain. We talked about this. Um, but they were very, very good episodes. And Queen Sugar always does a good job of sharing the black point of view of what's going on and they don't hide from the tough conversations and there were a lot of tough conversations because Nova was going at her boyfriend who was white and his white daughter and stuff like that so um really good episodes but heavy um then I also watch Unsung with Leela James and she is such a singing little woman I didn't know anything about her journey um so it was nice to just learn some stuff about her um Fun fact, so Babe and I used her song Fall For You in our surprise wedding announcement, um, which we are coming up on our two-year wedding anniversary in two weeks, I think. Um, And we used that song in the video. It's such a dope song. Um, I started watching The Uncensored with Mona Scott Young. I did not finish it, um, but it was good. Again, she's another. I didn't really know her story and how she got to where she is but she is killing the game and she has worked and worked and worked to get to where she is so um she she deserves it she really does oh one of the interesting things that she did point out was how she gets a lot of flack for creating love and hip-hop and stuff like that when her white counterparts create the same kind of shows and nobody comes after them nobody downs them for creating you know the same type of shows or anything but when it comes to her as a black woman for whatever reason the the same reason that always happens to black women she's held to a different standard so um that was dope also um so I think I told y'all a while ago how Waffles and Mochi was a new Netflix show done by um the Obama's production company starring Michelle Obama well I watched two episodes now, this show is de- gre- uh, geared to preschoolers, and obviously, I don't have either. But I wanted to check it out because I love her, and it looks really, really cute. And it was a cute show. So, um, Mochi and Waffles come from the land of frozen foods, and um, <laughs> with the help of a friendly new face like the supermarket owner, Mrs. Obama, Waffles and Mochi blast off on global ingredient missions, traveling to kitchens, restaurants, farms, and homes all around the world. It was cute and fun. I love the way they took us on an adventure. Also while educating you and your children. But it was very nicely done. Because the two episodes I watched. They definitely dug deep into things. Um, one, The first episode was about tomatoes. Which sounds so simple. But there was so much to tomatoes that I just did not know. And so it was really nice um, that they, uh, they captured all of that. And kind of take you on an adventure. And um, in a really fun way. So, um, Bad Trip. Oh, y'all. I watched Bad Trip on Netflix. I started watching it just because I needed like some background noise. And then I think I fell asleep. It was like stupid late when I was watching. And then Babe was like, no, you should watch it. It's funny. It's a hidden camera show. Kind of with like two best friends pulling hilarious and pranks on unsuspecting people in the public so if you ever watch um impractical jokers which stars for white men that was kind of like the premise of it but with black people it stars eric andre and lil rail and it got tiffany haddish in now i will say there were bits and 
pieces that were definitely funny to me, especially the real life people. And one of the scenes, the black lady, oh my God, she is just a Bonita betrayal. And even though she didn't even know this prank was being pulled on her, her family was like, you always in some shit. You need to mind your goddamn business. And I was so tickled, (laughs) so tickled. So it's on Netflix. It's not for the kids, Um, but it was entertaining. Um, what else did I watch? I got caught up on Real Housewives of Atlanta and their friend Latoya is a fucking cunt and they need to quit her. And Kenya is still a nasty ass person and I don't have the patience or tolerance for her and I don't know how they do. Oh, let me tell you one of the things I super, 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 super love this week. <gasps> Red Table Talk came back. They had been on hiatus and they have returned and they returned with Niecy Nash and her wife, Jessica Betts. Y'all. Oh, I think I was smiling the whole time I was watching the episode. So, um, Nisi gave us the tea. Um, I feel like she always keeps it real. And I love that about her. She always comes across as just so genuine. And Jada, because Red Table Talk, asked her the questions. Like, no questions were off limits. So, one of the things she shared um, after Jada asked was that her wife was the first woman she had ever been with. Or was ever interested in. She wasn't interested in women. And she wasn't checking for women. Um, The best part of the episode. Was um, Jada asked her. Why her? Why this person? And she just said like. Her soul was just so refreshing. Like she wanted to be around her and her energy. But the monumental part for me was when she said this was the first time in her life she had felt fully seen in a relationship. And yo, I was like, oh, that's a goddamn word. Like, seriously. Like, my mind was just like blown. Um, I've been, I've been married twice. or um, And I've, I've been in a, a marriage where I was both seen and not seen. And so I instantly connected with that like I know what that feels like and I think sometimes we may describe stuff and we're like oh I don't really know how to explain it but the minute she said that I was like that's it like I think a lot of us have problems with being seen in our relationships um and she was like, my wife sees me 100%. And I was like, damn, no wonder you was cuckoo for the cocoa. Anyway, so she also shared that <laughs> Nisi was like, she believes that people believe that that her wife kind of just like swooped in and blew her mind, blew her back and just changed her. And she, in fact, shared she was the one to make the first move. And she's also shared that she decided to just let herself feel her feelings. And that's how she got there. So Nisi has been married three times, twice to um, two men, and she broke down. So she said her first marriage was she got married because she needed to be saved. So she had seen her mom get shot with a double barrel shotgun. Her mother lived, Um, but then her brother was murdered. And so, you know, she dealt with that, too. And so she had a lot of a lot of trauma going on and she wanted to be saved and her first ex-husband Don who is the father of her three kids um was that for her and that she stayed in this marriage for 17 years but she finally left for the children which I thought was important because so many times you hear women say 
oh, I stayed for the kids as if the kids don't know that y'all shit is fucked up, whatever. And she was like, she left for the kids because she was miserable and she wanted her kids to see her happy and to see what a happy life was like. And I was like, damn girl. And they like, she was a first lady. He was running a church. It was a whole lot of stuff going on. And then her second marriage, she said she just wanted partnership. She wanted to be married. And although he was a very gentle soul and they were a very sweet couple, she just said she was unfulfilled. And so that's why it didn't work out. Um, She also shared that she wasn't living a lie. Um, So her second ex-husband's name is Jay. Um, I, I think when it came out, because it appeared to be so close to after she had just gotten divorced, people felt like she was living a lie. And she was like, she wasn't. She liked men and she liked them real good. She literally said she liked them real good. And that she didn't cheat on her ex-husband, Jay, that um she and her wife were both in long-term relationships, like 10-year relationships. And her wife shared that the person she was with at the time, she really thought was her person and that that was it for her. Like, this happened almost like like it was meant to be, but they were not looking for, you know, any relationships or anything. Um, and then I think the media also shared that her wife was a singer at her second wedding. And she was like, no, that is false. <laughs> My wife was not the singer at the second wedding. Um, They had been friends for four and a half years, but it was nothing like she didn't look. They didn't look at each other romantically. And matter of fact, to Jessica's credit, she was like, look, I knew that she liked men and that was it. Like I never tried my hand like she was just a good friend and I liked our friendship and that's it. That's all, which makes sense because she then went on to say, When Nisi made the first move, she was like, oh, you you sure? You serious? Like, she didn't see it coming because, you know, as far as she know, as, as Nisi said, she was strictly dickly. Um, so then they had this conversation about, like, could you ever see yourself in a relationship with a woman? Which was a very interesting conversation. So Jada weighed in, Willow weighed in, and even her mom. And so her mom, she was like, she's thought about it but not enough to act on it. And now she feels like it's too late in life and stuff. It was a really good conversation, y'all. Let me tell you. Um, and it wasn't like, you know, they was trying to convert you to like women or whatever, but the conversation was real. And so um, just some of the points that they touched on were definitely valid. So it was an interesting conversation for sure. So that is pretty much what Mimi was watching. Okay, so last week I told y'all that our main topic was going to be the Queen's edition. And I meant that shit. So when I came back home, y'all, I watched the Tina Turner documentary, which is about an hour and a half. And I watched eight hours of Aretha Franklin, the genius um, joint, y'all. Okay, Tina Turner's documentary was very, very well done. And I loved it. Um, she talked, she definitely talked about Ike, of course she did, and about all of the abuse that she endured, um, and how, you know, how it would go on and she'd have to go right back on stage, which we saw in the movie. Um, but she was only 23 and it was crazy that she would end up feeling bad for him, but she realized like she was brainwashed by him and she was afraid of him. And she knew that if she left that she wouldn't have anywhere to sing, which must be like an incredible awful position to be in like um 
the times were way different. Like they had no glam squad. You know, they were doing their own hair. You see the wigs in the movie. They were doing their own makeup, practice the choreography and everything. And then like they had no idea what songs they were going to play or what order. You know, typically you have a show and you're like, oh, we're going to do this. No, they will find out when Ike began to begin to play because, of course, Ike was in charge, in charge. Um, So I, I she shared a little more vicious and vile stuff about him that um, you see, but you didn't know the details that were so cringy um, that happened between her and her marriage to Ike and relationship with him and I was just like oh my gosh like I understand why she has PTSD and um what was really interesting to me so at one point um Phil Spector is saying how he paid Ike not to come to the studio like he just wanted to work with Tina and just wanted her to sing without Ike's control um and so he literally paid Ike not to show up and I was like, damn, like you got to go to such lengths just, just to get what you want. And she felt like she was an uncaged bird. Like I controlled all the music and she had to sing and dance his way and only his way. And so she hadn't had a chance to do that. So, um, very interesting. Naturally, you should know by now that Tina Turner has four sons, two of which belong to Lorraine. <laughs> like they, they, they not all her biological kids. Um, the housekeeper used to watch the kids, you know, while they were on tour and stuff like that. And she came to the relationship. She had a son, uh, oddly enough, by the saxophonist who was a member of Ike's band, Kings of Rhythm. That was interesting. And then obviously her and Ike had one kid. So um, that's where the four boys came from. She spent eight months on the road and four months at home. That's a lot, y'all. Like, we see these celebrities out here and it looks like it's just so glamorous and that shit is grueling. And to be away from home, to be away from your children for eight months out of the year. So that means she only had four months to come home and raise her children. But um, one of her sons shared that she was really strict in a sense that when she was home, like she was mom, they ate dinner together. She was very hands-on and everything because she felt guilty for not being around but just wanting to be around right like to get to know your kids I've been missing for eight months what's going on with y'all like oh and then she only got an allowance from Ike so she didn't have no money of her own and stuff like that uh what she did share which I didn't know was that she grew up watching violence in her home uh a lot of times people are, are always like well girl why didn't you leave and stuff like that but to her, that was that's kind of how relationships work. So um, her parents were sharecroppers and stuff like that. But her parents fought from the very beginning. Um, but she said the difference was that her mom fought back. I was like, shit, girl. Um, and generally, you end up one of two ways. You even you either turn out living the life that was displayed and before you, even though you don't like it, or you become the abuser. Like it's normally, you know kind of you kind of stuck in between those things now there are definitely people who don't uh, fall victim to either one of those things but I understand how it's hard how you have to reprogram yourself to once a healthy relationship then you got to figure out how to have one because you hadn't had um any examples of that so 
it was very interesting. Um, the most interesting part was um, how she had, after she left him, she had to continue to tell people to stop asking her about him. Like even though she had left him, even though he was horrible to her, even after the movie had came come out, press was still just like, she do press about something. They'd be like, so how's Ike? Bitch, I don't know. You saw this man used to whip my ass. I don't give a fuck how Ike is doing. Why do you keep asking me about it? So she put out a book thinking, okay, well, if I just tell my story to people and stop asking, they didn't. So then they put out the movie. And you know what? People still kept asking her, still kept asking her. And some of it is, it's like they didn't want to see her for who, they didn't want to see her. She wanted to be seen and they saw her as Ike and Tina and not just Tina, even after she left. And so, um, on top of that, so we saw in the movie when she left, all she wanted was her name. She took no money, no nothing. But this fool left her with all of the debt. And so she had to make money to live off one, take care of her kids two and three to pay off this debt that he stuck her with when he took everything. The last thing you want to do is talk about this fool. So she started doing rock and roll. She cut her hair. She put on a mani dress and she worked it (laughs) and she reinvented herself as Tina Turner and she was a boss, but She also struggled to get a record deal for the same reasons that people didn't see her as a boss in her own right, as if she couldn't be good enough without Ike, which was crazy because she had the voice. It was her. She was singing those songs. It wasn't him. You could find somebody else to to play an instrument. Uh, All right, so... Um, Tina decided she only wanted to talk about the good stuff and she got to a point where she just quit talking about it. People would ask questions and she would just be like, yeah, I only want to talk about the good things. Who wants to sit around and rehash um, the worst parts of of one's life, which also include her mom. So her mom didn't want her, um, her mom didn't want her around, but she wanted her success. Mm, we saw that in the movie because her mother was selfish as hell. She was off her rocker but she said that even though um her mom didn't love her she she loved her mom and treated her mom as if her mom loved her bought her a house and she still didn't like her but she bought her a house like you buy your mom a house and your mom still is like but I don't fuck with you what Buddhism literally saved this woman's life more than we realized like it wasn't even just Ike like there were so many layers to what was going on but I can't imagine living in so much hell like no one loves you that's mm. it I want to say it's miserable but it's so much more than that like like that's just an awful feeling but one of her uh high points in the documentary which I love was sharing the story of her and her husband which I knew nothing about um I knew she was what I might a white man only because I've seen the pictures didn't know anything about him didn't know how it happened or anything and she shared it 
And at one point, as she's telling a story, she like ask, um, she's like, honey, how long? And she's like, ask him a question. And you can tell he's right off camera, just sitting there with her. Um, and it was so sweet. So she met her now husband in an airport in 1985. So her manager asked him to pick her up from the airport when she flew in. And so he was just like, okay. Um, he was only 30. He is 16 years younger than her. <laughs> and as Tina is um, is telling this story, it's like she's got like this schoolgirl smile on her face. Like she's still smitten. And she's like, her heart was like ba-boom <laughs> when she first saw him. Like it skipped a beat. His name is Erwin. And um, so like they didn't like exchange information or whatever like at that first meeting um like he he, Erwin was doing his job right so then he came to America where she was and she said to him (laughs) when you come to LA I want you to make love to me when I tell y'all she bust out laughing after she said that and she was like I was a free woman I didn't have any boyfriend and a boyfriend or anything and she thought it was it was okay to say and then she said he looked at her like he he couldn't believe she would say that now back in those days I'm sure it definitely came across like as crass women weren't quite as forward (laughs) um but it worked shit he he was down for it so here's the crazy thing they got married in 2017 I told y'all they met in the 80s So when they got together in the 80s, they stayed together. They were together for 27 years before they got married. And so that's the question she was asking. She was like, honey, how long before we got married? 27 years. Do you know how many people feel like, oh, I got to get married in a year's time or I'm 30. I need to be married. I wanted to be married by then. And people will look upon you like, oh, why are you not married? Baby and I waited 15 years before we got married. We were together 100%, no days off, um, for 15 years before we decided to get married. And Tina was like, I see you and I raised you 27 years. <laughs> also, Oprah and Stephanie have been together for a really, really long time. I don't know how long exactly, but... They have been together for a really long time and obviously they are not married. Um, Do you, boo? What works for one doesn't have to work for the other. Um, But I love, I always love when people do it on their own terms. Whatever that looks like, I love that. So they live in this really beautiful um, estate in Switzerland. We joke about fleeing America. But she really did. Got her a whole ass new life. Left Ike. Ike died years ago. (laughs) So she has been living her best life for a long time. So she talked about some of her health complications, which I didn't know about. So she had high blood pressure and her kidneys were only functioning at 20% and like declining. So she either had to do dialysis or she needed a kidney transplant. And, um... So in one part of the documentary, um, her husband is speaking and um, he shared like he don't really do interviews, but um, he said she began to talk about death and like he just wasn't feeling that shit. So he gave her one of his kidneys 
which she shared in her book. So she put out a book in 2020 called Happiness Becomes You, A Guide to Changing Your Life for Good. And um, in that book, she gave her fans an update on her health, um, saying that I'm happy to say that thanks to my dear husband, Erwin, giving me one of his kidneys, the gift of life, I'm in good health and loving life every day. I did not know that. I don't know if it was like publicized in the media at the time or whatever, but I had no idea. I'm glad he hooked the sister up and she's still around. Um, but that's crazy to give someone an organ. That's big. That's a lot. I mean, it was her husband. We've heard some crazier stories about like um, Tracy Morgan, his old boo uh, hooked him up and then he left her. Um, this is not their story. This is not the case with her. Um, uh, it was a really, I think the documentary was was really well done. Um, now she can go on. Like she said her piece, she has told her story and she can just live her best life until she takes her final breath. Like this was like putting a bow up on this publicized career and stuff. And now she could just chill. Um, so she dedicated the documentary to her son, Craig, um, who died in 2018 from suicide at the age of 59. Um, which I was like, damn, again, so much trauma, so much hurt in her life. Like, uh, anyways, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, if you have not watched it, do watch. Um, I didn't ruin it for you. I promise there's still so much. I didn't feel the need to dig all into the negativity and all the other stuff, but it was very well done. So then I turned to Genius Aretha Franklin, which was a Nat Geo joint. It was also on Hulu. So it they aired two hour long episodes, four nights in a row. I had never watched Genius on Nat Geo. I didn't know about it until the Aretha thing came out, but this is their third season and every season is a different person. One of the people they did was Einstein. I can't remember the other, but y'all. So I, let me just say, I knew nothing about Aretha's life and they gave us everything. Um, but her family isn't happy. So they have put out a statement that they aren't happy with the four part series and that her children and grandchildren have condemned the series in recent interviews calling for boycotts of genius Aretha um, and they said that they've approved uh, for an, another project. So there's a film coming out and it's called uh, Respect. It's coming out later this year and it stars Jennifer Hudson as Aretha. And her family claims that the team behind Genius did not involve them in the production. Here's the interesting thing, which um, maybe, maybe they didn't. But National Geographic came out and was like, yeah, so they had the permission to make the film from Aretha's estate, which is a separate entity. So in their statement, they said, we can tell you that everyone who worked on Genius uh, Aretha approached telling her story with intention to respect Miss Franklin in every aspect of the series and in every decision we made. And so that was in Marie Claire. Here's the thing. So. Like I said, I watched the whole thing. I don't know what they could be up in arms about. Um, I, I, so Aretha's mom is probably the only point of contention that I could see. But they didn't paint her in a negative light at all. Um, 
Like as you watch, like it, un- the story unfolds. First of all, her mom died when she was 10. So her mom wasn't even around that long and she left and she was kind of forced out by the, the dad, y'all, the dad. Mm. The dad is a real piece of work. Courtney B. Vance played the, played the hell out of C.L. Franklin, who was Aretha Franklin's father. That man was so convincing. There are very few actors who play a role so good that I actually feel like I hate them in real life, even though they were playing a role. This, this is one. Like, mm. <laughs> So there is a scene in the first episode where... um. Her father, who was a whore of whores and also a pastor, (laughs) let that sit with your spirit for a minute. So one of his women. So this is after Aretha's mom was gone and then had died. So um, he had a woman and uh, Aretha really took to this woman and she liked her a lot. And so um, (laughs) this this other artist tells Aretha that she should watch out for son of bitches. (laughs) for a son of a bitch (laughs) so Aretha goes to this lady her dad is in and is like what's a son of a bitch (laughs) and she was like men that do women wrong when I tell y'all she learned that lesson real quick between her cheating daddy and her shady ass husband Ted oh my gosh so much like Tina Aretha had so much trauma in her life and it was so layered and it was violence and it was abuse and y'all my mouth was open her husband Ted used to pimp bitches and I didn't know Aretha had a child at 12 and a second one at 14 what in the name these two kids were not by the first husband her and the first husband ended up having a kid but it won't those two she had a baby at 12 at 12 and her daddy had the nerve to get mad at her my dude you was her only parent this happened on your dime you let this happen she was 12 I didn't know that I knew she had kids but I did not I did not know that she she had this baby at 12 y'all <laughs> oh by 14 years old you have two kids do you imagine somebody would be dead everybody would be dead everybody would be dead do you hear me there were so many people that failed her um damn I don't know (laughs) y'all um one of the funny things was Aretha in her purse this is not a new thing but um Aretha was as associated with her purse as she was her voice (laughs) it didn't matter where she sang or who she sang for she took her purse on stage with her and that is just like such an old lady thing (laughs) so even when she performed for president obama at the kennedy center she laid her purse on top the piano y'all can you imagine that dragging your purse every everywhere you went and i imagine it to be like a very old school kind of purse (laughs) So she did it because she first she insisted on being paid up front and she insisted on being paid in cash. So after she got her money, she put her $100 bills inside her purse and take it on stage with her so she could keep an eye on, on it. So she didn't want somebody to know she got paid like her shady ass husband and and then turn around 
and try and steal her money. Well, you couldn't because it was live on stage with her everywhere she went. <laughs> Can you imagine all of the amazing places such as the Kennedy Center that Aretha had sang and sis had her purse for her the whole time? That tickled my spirit. Um, So one of the things I also learned from watching this documentary, which I was engrossed in y'all, I was so sucked in, was her nasty ass father had a side baby with a 12 year old member of his congregation. If y'all are noticing a pattern, yes. I hate what life was like back then. I'm so thankful that God made me when he did. I'm too mouthy. Somebody would have fucked me up, y'all. Bust me in the mouth and everything. Aretha fought back though. <laughs> I did. <laughs> she did. But like I'm so mouthy and that just would not work in that time. And just the things that went on was just like, are you shitting me? Like, I'm sure I look at it from a different perspective because I'm a mom and I, I have a daughter. But I'm just like, again, so many people failed her. Like her and Tina endured so much. But if those are the kind of things I have to endure to get to where they got to, I don't know that it's worth it. Like, I know the things that we go through shape us and they make us who we are. But goddamn, I need more highs than lows. And both of them had a hell of a lot of lows. And I don't feel like the lows, uh, I don't feel like the highs outweigh the lows. Um, so then we see, we meet T.I. who plays Ken Cunningham. He's the businessman who falls for her. And he's like the only guy who just like loves her genuinely and took care of her. He empowered her. He saw her. He, um, he had her back. Like he respected her. Like he was very loving. It's funny because there's an article about there like, oh, how Ken Cunningham was this amazing man in real life and how he was so good to Aretha and and genuine. And they picked this man who has infidelities and all this other kind of stuff in his backstory. <laughs> and I was like, well, what does one have to do with the other? Um, I think he's a decent actor and he did a good job. So, um, yeah, he did a good job. Like, I didn't feel like, I was watching T.I. I felt like he embodied the character that he was playing. Also, it was nice to see Pauletta Washington. Denzel Washington's wife? She was the grandmother in the movie. She was C.L. Franklin's mother and she took care of the kids. Um, we also got to see a lot of Aretha's community work. I knew she sang songs and stuff like that um, during the civil rights movement, but she was involved um beyond that and so it was nice to see how all of that came to be and played out in the movie as well um not just giving her her vocals her money her time like she was a solid backer of the movement like bailing people out of jail I think at one point she bailed Angela Davis out of jail and stuff like that um yeah, I also like when they shared the story of her and Glenn Turman, which is Colonel Taylor from A Different World, who was played by Luke James. Again, I think he did a good job. So by the time they meet uh, Glenn and Aretha, she, he is fresh off Cooley High. And um, like they they had like a very sweet love. They had like a good, health, another healthy and clean relationship. It was just so sweet and endearing. He was supposed to be helping her learn to act. 
um, she wanted to be in the movie Sparkle, which, uh, no, it was something else. She wanted to be in something else. And so she was learning to act. She didn't get that. And she ended up taking a spot in Sparkle from her sister. That was definitely a point of contention, um, in the, the series for sure. So her messy ass daddy ends up getting shot. He gets shot twice. Um, they think somebody like broke into his home or something, but he gets shot twice in point blank range. And one of the sh- the bullets went into his growing and I just felt like the universe had served him up something real cold. Uh, the crazy thing is after he got shot, he was in a coma for five years before he died. Like that's a long ass time. A long ass time. I didn't know anything about her daddy. And now I feel like he was the star of a movie. <laughs> It was a lot. Um, I know the family wasn't feeling this series, but like I said, I felt like it was very, very well done. Um, Cynthia Cynthia Arrivo did an amazing job. She got vocal chops for days. That was never a question, y'all. But towards the end, she had to be the fat Aretha and that shit was funny as hell because she's so itty bitty. So to see this tiny woman in this fat suit was hilarious to me. But I thoroughly enjoyed watching Aretha. I thoroughly enjoyed watching Tina. I didn't feel like I was watching eight hours of television when I was watching. I was so sucked into the story that I couldn't get enough of it that I didn't even recognize the time. So if the time commitment is a deterrent for you, don't let it be. The story is so amazing. You will not focus on the time at all. Um, These women are queens for sure. But let me tell you, they earned the fuck out of those titles. They blood, sweat, and tears aren't enough to describe what these women went through to get to where they are. Or in Aretha's case, where she was. Um... There was no way she thought she'd live to see a black president and sing at the inauguration. Like when she was fighting for civil rights, you know, very early on, like talk about full circle. That was a lot, a lot, a lot of shit to endure to get there. Um, But they both got there. And so that part is dope. But when they say everybody's journey is their own and they are no two that are the same. I'm so thankful for that because <laughs> that shit was crazy. Um, and it sucks that black women have to go through so much. They have to be resilient. Like we are strong because we don't have a choice, not because we want to be. We have no other choice. And these women were strong as shit. They are queens that should be honored and celebrated at every damn turn. Thank you for tuning into another episode of Mimi Said What. Thank you for listening, for subscribing, for sharing. Tell a friend to tell a friend. You are appreciated. You can follow me at Mimi Cute Lips everywhere on social. And as you continue the conversation, don't forget to use Mimi Said What. Until next time, cuties. <laughs>